I tell you, we are excited to be able to have the opportunity today just to share a little bit about what God's been doing in our life. Um, we've been back for almost a year. We actually leave in two weeks to go to Papua New Guinea, so our furlough is over. Our break is finished, and um, we're heading back. And um, been waiting for the opportunity just to share a little bit about what God's been doing in our life, some of the things that he's been teaching us. And um, as Nikki and I have traveled around a little bit and spoke at some Bible schools and some different groups, um, a couple of things that we keep coming back to as a common uh, theme in our life is dependence and obedience. And um, as we've talked, we, we're figuring out that dependence and obedience go hand in hand. You, you really can't have one without the other. And um, so hopefully today, as, as I unfold a, a story uh, called Molly Ollie to y'all, um, I hope to be able to, to take um, the things that God has been teaching us through dependence and obedience and really unpacked um, a bit more of who God is, his character. Um, because really, how can you have dependence in a God that you don't know? How, how are you obedient to a God that you don't understand? And um, I think specifically since we've been back in the States and we've been doing some, some teaching with our family and stuff, some of the things that God has been clarifying and has shown me more and more is, is who he is, a God of order, a God of design, a God of passion, a God that loves, that's strong, uh, he's a creator, and just as, as I'm growing to understand God more and more, um, I'm changing. And uh, what I mean is, is I used to be a man that I would say that I want to be independent. I don't want to depend upon really people, let alone God. Maybe for going to heaven, you know, that's good. But, you know, to build, I got this covered. Or, you know, to raise my kids, I got that. Um, but the more and more that I, I really get to know God, I'll tell you guys, um, my heart's changing. I actually am getting to a point where I long to be dependent on God. Um, and that, that drives in me the desire to be obedient. Um, so hopefully as, as we, uh, we talk today and I share the story of Molly Ollie, my hope is to paint a picture of God in a way that maybe you've seen him, uh, you see him a bit different. Um, and the scripture that I want to read today um, typically um, read in a maybe a bit different context, I guess, but um, I want to go to Luke 12, 22 to 34. And we'll, we'll read uh, here in Luke, and then, um, yeah, then I want to tell you a story um, of Mali Uh Luke 12, 22 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap uh, or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for a pagan world runs after such things, 
and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been given or has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide a purse for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, Typically, a chapter, you know, you teach or you study on worrying. But I want to be able to come back to this portion of Scripture after I tell the the story of Malayali and some of the things that God has showed me and really use that, tra- that chapter to reflect on God. Um, so the story for Molly Ali starts for me just over a year ago, early May. Um, uh, Molly Ali is a, is a place in Papua New Guinea where we were going to send a team, the church plant. And this particular area is outside of our, my region, and we split the field up into three regions. Um, but part of my, my job is to help teams um, coordinate their builds and, and design houses and help go into the, the jungle and build houses. And um, this was in the western area, and they actually were very, very short on staff. And so they wrote me and said, hey, can you, can you help us with this? And I, I looked at my, my schedule, to be honest, and I said, wow, you know, I mean, we're, we're down to just a few weeks before Burke graduates. Um, we're getting ready to come back here to, to Nebraska for home home assignment, and so I need to be able to take all my ministry tasks and jobs and, and organize them and coordinate, coordinate them and be able to give them to someone else to do um, so it's, it's able to be picked up and ran with. And so you got all that going on, um, packing up the house, because when we leave the field, you don't get to leave the stuff in the house. You've got to pack it all up and store it and, and put it away. So there was a lot going on, and, and I said, you know what, I can't, I can't do that, but I have a friend that can uh, Bill Michaud, he works with there uh, with us there at Sabega, and so I asked Bill, and he said, you know what, I'll take it on, I'll do that. And so he started coordinating, and I told Bill, I said, you guys run with this, and you let me know, but I'll, I'll give you a week. Uh, I'll come in one week and build. And um, So Bill took off, and, and the time came that it was, uh, they were ready for us to go in and start building. And I have another friend, Josh Simmons, that I serve with there at Sabega, and his job is specifically like tech stuff. He does the solar the power grid, that type of thing. But he went in on the first build team, and uh, the Maliali team had a church team come over from the States. And um, Josh went in with them, and they spent some time in there and, and came back out, and, and I'm trying to get all my things in order. And along with this is, is the expense, right? Because, you know, we're getting ready to come back to the States, the tickets and all that good stuff, and uh, not knowing really what we're coming home to and what we'll have to buy to, to live here. And and, you know, my ticket to, to get into the tribe was about $1,500. And so um, a little bit on edge. I'm like, oh, man, why did I say I would go? You know, just another cost at this time. And anyways, my day came and or getting closer, and Josh came to me, and he said, Travis, he said, this place, Maliali, is like no other place we've ever been. I said, what do you mean? He goes, dude, it's out there. I mean, like out there, way deep, deep jungle. And I'm like, what? He's like, no, seriously, this, this place is, is out there. And I said, all right. And he said, but, hey, you, you need to take, like, nothing with you. Go light. And I was like, why is that? He's like, well, they're going to fly you in because they're going to be um, shuttling materials in. But when you come out, you're going to have to walk out. He's like, it's like nine hours of hiking out of this location to the nearest airstrip. 
I'm like, okay. And then he starts telling me, he says, um, he said, yeah, and he goes, the terrain is, is pretty, te- it's pretty bad. It's, it's like muddy and rocky and ruddy and pretty steep. And he said, dude, like one of these other guys from the build team that was there, he said, he about died. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean he about died? He's like, we're walking along like this, this ledge. And I mean, it's like literally cliff. And, and he slipped. And the next thing we know, he's sliding down the mountain backwards on his back, and a vine caught his leg. And the vine kept him from going off the cliff. And he's like, it's nuts, you know. And so I'm like, in my head, I'm starting to think and starting to, okay, so go light. And he's like, tools, don't take any tools. They have tools in there. I'm like, yeah, you're telling a carpenter to go build a house with no tools. (laughs) Um, No, he's like, no, really, you don't want to be carrying stuff out. And so I tried to heed his advice, and I took very, very limited tools, um, basically took one change of clothes, and um, I thought, you know, slick terrain, mud, soccer shoes. I'll wear soccer shoes in there. And uh, so I got to thinking, and I had, I had a pair of, like, uh, indoor soccer shoes, you know, not the big cleats, but the, the little rubber ones. And, and uh, so I said, I'll wear those in. That'll help me coming out. And... Um, as I was packing, I'm thinking even, why do I need two pair of shoes? I'll just take, just wear the ones I, you know, the soccer shoes. So out go my, my Nike kicks, and I just took the soccer shoes in. So off we go. I packed up, jumped on the plane, and to get to Mali Ali, um, we have about an hour and a half plane ride from where we live to another airstrip. And then from that airstrip, we were catching a helicopter to take us into Mali Ali. So about an hour and a half fixed wing, and then a roughly about an hour or so helicopter flight. So we're, we're out there a ways. And um, as we come into Mali Ali, um, this is my first sight. Um, basically, it's just jungle. It's just mountains and hills and a little circle patch where the helicopter could land. And um, it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, that ground looked just like the rest of the mountains bef- behind them, but they used... Uh, axes and machetes to clean, clean the jungle. They don't have tractors, but they, they created this landing pad for the helicopter. And uh, so here, here we are. We're landed at Malayali. This is our helicopter that we use. This is our, two of our pilots, two of the families in Malayali, and a few of the Malayali people. And uh, off the helicopter we go, and we actually had several shuttles of materials, so we're hauling materials up to where the houses are going to be. And... Um, I started, started looking around and noticing that um, the houses that the people were living in were a bit different than anything I've ever seen. And this house here, uh, basically they just took the trees and made like kind of a lean-to. And there were multiple families sleeping in this house. And um, come to find out that um, the Malayali people, when they invited the missionary team to come in and work there, they said, you know what, we don't want you to come to one of our villages. We want you to kind of go to a location right in the middle. And you guys build your houses there, and we're going to come live where you're at. Um, and so this, this land was pretty much untouched. What you see, that's how it looks. You know, they're cutting down trees, they're burning the bush, and um, they're getting ready to build a missionary's house. Well, this is what I went there for. Um, my job was to go there and build a house for the missionaries. Um, that's pretty typical of what they look like, uh, copper or a steel roof, solar panels for electrical. Um, we catch uh, rain off the roofs and store it in tanks for water. And um, pretty, pretty basic, no windows, you know, screens because it's hot there. Um, but I ended up going there to build this house. 
And um, I'll be honest, as uh, this build started to unfold, I got a little bit cranky, I guess, or just uh, my feelings hurt because um, my job has always been to go in and be the, the first guy in. Um, I would plant the posts and, and, you know, make sure the foundation of the house is strong. That's what I do. I'm a foundation guy. I frame the house. Then I let all the other guys come in and do all the little finish work, you know. Well, this time I was, I was the finished guy. And um, I was a little bit struggling with God on, you know, some of the work that he was having me doing, especially, you know, I spent this much money to come in and do this, and you have me doing something that anybody could do. And, you know, and I tell you, there, there's a... Early on in this, God kind of just kind of uh, PNG, they say, he, he poked my belly. And uh, he just said, you know what, I want you to worship me through this. I don't want to hear you complain. You know, if there's something, I, I want you to worship me even through the pain, even through the things that you don't want. So early on, I'm just like fighting that in me like, man, okay, this is, this is pride. Kill pride. Worship God, you know. I can do this. So we're going, um, get through uh, the, the first day, and uh, evening time comes, and, and we start to walk down to where we're going to live. And, and um, these two houses here, the people of Mali Ali built these houses so that we could come here and work. Now, just flash back to the last picture, what they were living in versus what they're giving us. And in perspective, these things are pretty nice, you know, but they're still just pieces of wood stuck in the mud with a blind wrapped around it and kunai grass as a roof. So I walked into the, um, the house there, and um, on one side there's six cots, well, not really cots, more in two-inch foam mattresses, about yay big, on the ground, and then six mosquito nets hanging over them, and uh, those were our beds. And then on the other side there were, I don't know, just a half a dozen totes like this. And um, it's supper time, and so they open up these totes, and out comes tuna and crackers. I'm like, yeah, all right, not too bad for the first night, you know. No worries, didn't think much about it. Anyways, as um, time goes on, um, uh, we found out that um, all those totes were all filled with tuna and crackers. Breakfast. Tuna. Lunch. Tuna. Supper. Oh, yeah. Tuna. Um, I tell you, it didn't take me too long to get a little bit cranky about what I was eating. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of like variety. You know, I don't even you know, necessarily like eating leftovers at home. Um, but ironically, even this, God was kind of, he was using it in my life. And he's just saying, just worship me for having tuna. You know, just be thankful. And um, so I battled that. that. That was an ongoing thing for me for several days because, you know, you're hungry. You're, you're working hard and you go to a can of tuna and you're like, Ugh, okay, I can do this. Well, this is what the house next to us looked like until we got... Um, gutters and the tank set up on the missionary's house, this is, this is how we collected water to drink and also to do laundry in. Uh, when it would rain at night, you know, it would run off the tarp, we'd slant it, put it in a bucket, catch it, and, and there we go. So we would actually filter the water before we would drink it. Um, 
but yeah, that was home for, for about a week. And all in all, pretty, pretty decent living conditions. Um, but I tell you, when you're working hard, you get up at sunrise and you go to bed at sunset. And once you actually get power in the house where you can turn lights on at night, then you go until you can't go anymore. Um, you don't need much. You know, you kind of get back to bed and you just die from exhaustion. <laughs> and um, one of the times that um, I guess I appreciate the most as I reflect back and, um, you know, God's prompted me to, to focus on him and I'm trying to, to remember scripture and just remember who, who God is and, and what I'm doing there and, and the bathrooms. These, these two buildings here are the, the outhouses they built for us. And actually, they're, they're pretty good outhouses. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to, to an outhouse that didn't have a toilet seat. They just have a hole in the ground. They call them squat boxes. And, uh, well, they built these basically right on the edge of a cliff. I mean, you can see it's pretty much right there. So raining and things are wet and, you know, you're trying to get out to the, the bathroom in the morning and you're having to grab a hole of the post and kind of walk around, get in. And uh, I don't know about you all, but I do a lot of devotional time and sitting on the throne, you know. Morning comes, it's time to break out the Bible and get right with God. Um, well, that was actually one of, one of the more impacting times of my time in Mali Ali because... Uh, in the morning, this is what I would wake up to. Um, the clouds would be rising out of the mountains. Um, the sun would just be peeking up. The, the birds, the, the birds of paradise would be starting to talk. The, the jungle would be coming alive. And um, I'd be sitting in my outhouse, squatting down, just worshiping God, just seeing his creation. And just going, dang, how did a boy from Nebraska get here? And uh, the other benefit of using the bathroom in the morning was come 9, 30, 10 o'clock, the bees and the flies start to become alive. And you can't sit there in peace and, and read or focus because you've got other things flying around. But, um, yeah, just even something like that, being able to, to use an outhouse and seeing God's glory. You know, him, his, his creation just singing to you. It just it was it was a refreshing point. I needed that just to to be able to ground myself and say, you know what? Okay, I can do this. And um, yeah, so the days went on. We got the house built. We got things done. Um, and it come up to the uh, the last evening, and um, one of the village elders came to us, knocks on the door, and he says. Uh, we, we have something we want to give you. And I said, okay. And so we go out there, and they, he kind of does a, a formal speech in front of everybody and says, uh, we don't have much. Um, you know, we're people that live in the bush. We, we don't have a lot of stuff, but we want to say thank you. Thank you for coming and building these houses so missionaries can, can come live with us. And uh, so he hands me this pot. And... Um, Take the pot in the house because culturally you don't eat in front of people there. Um, so we're in the house and we open this pot and there's a chicken. And I'm not talking this big, flat, fat, plump chicken, you know. And we're talking a little scrawny bush chicken. And um, you look in there and there's, there's feet 
and there's kind of a body, and there's a long neck and a beak and still some feathers on it. And then, uh, you know, you look down in there, and they cook a lot of their foods with, with things they can find out in the jungle, so a lot of greens, a lot of leaf tops. And so they use that to cook with water. And I tell you, we took that inside, and we kind of broke it apart. That chicken was amazing. It was awesome compared to having tuna for, you know, seven days. It, it was great. But, you know, I, it just again, God just said, you know what, Travis, look at Look how I'll provide for you. I, I got this. I know you. I know what you need. And uh, so we, we ate, and I'm just, re, just almost just worshiping God, just saying, man, this is through a chicken. <laughs> it's awesome. Thank you. And, um, and so we go knock on their door because culturally, you know, if you have food left over, it's, you know, you give it to them. That means they've given, given you, they provided more than you can eat that makes them feel good. And so then they get to partake. And so they ate. And um, next morning comes, and I put my backpack on, and I'm ready. Let's go home. I'm going to see my wife. And um, I'd be honest, there was a, a part of me that was really struggling that I had to walk out of here. Um, I was kind of thinking, why don't you just send a helicopter back in here to get me? You know, here I've got, I've got things to do. I've got another job back there in Sebago I've got to wrap up. I've got my daughter graduating. All this stuff's going on. And, you know, I just spent this much money to come in here and help you guys. You guys should send a helicopter in here. Why do I have to walk out? And, again, it just, God just, bam. And he said, I just want you, I want you to see something. I want you to worship me. Let me show you who I am. And um, to go along with that, to allocate a helicopter just to get the helicopter to where we're at is $5,000. So it wasn't going to be a cheap venture, you know, and um, they could have done it if you have a deep pocket, but I don't know about you. Most missionaries do not. (laughs) So off we go hiking. And uh, we hit the, got ready to head up the trail, and then all of a sudden this village elder comes to me, comes running down with some guys, and he has a, a spear in his hand, and he said, hey, wait, wait, wait. I got something I want to say to you. And he starts talking, but that story I'll tell to you in just a minute. Um, so we start off. We, uh, we're heading up the mountains, and, and this is similar terrain. This is kind of what uh, some of the stuff looked like when we're walking out of the mountains because people would be clearing the jungle to plant gardens. And... Um, Another picture there. That's, that's kind of what we're walking out of. And so we're actually going uphill in, in this stuff, and, and it's, it's slick, uh, muddy, rocks, vines, narrow paths. And uh, I had my soccer shoes on, those soccer shoes that I thought I was going to be smart and wear into a build that I wore all week long that had no inserts and no soles that caused my feet to hurt, my back to ache. And I tell you, I was regretting wearing those shoes. Uh, but I thought, we're heading out. I got my soccer shoes on. Let's go. And uh, so we're walking. And, and literally, I didn't even get a chance to take in the scenery. Because as you're walking, it's like a path like this step here. And you got a cliff. And you got uphill. And you're just trying to walk and watch where you're walking so you don't fall down. Um, missionaries, uh, the people just love to laugh at us because we can't seem to stay on our feet no matter where we go. And um, so my goal is just not to, not to fall down, not to hurt myself. So up the mountain we go, and we finally get to a place. And they said, hey, we're going to take a break here. 
and uh, just had an opportunity to look out and just go, wow. I still can't believe God has me here. How did I get to the jungle of Papua New Guinea? And, um, and one of the guys says, you see that river? I said, yeah. He goes, you see where that river ends? I said, yeah. He goes, we're going there, and then we're going back up that mountain. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, so we, um, we continued on, and we got down to the river, and I'll be honest, I was, had exerted myself at this point in time. Um, uh, we are not carrying food out with us because culturally it's wrong to eat in front of people like that. It's unless you can feed everybody that comes with you, you don't eat yourself. And so starting to get a little hungry, exerted myself, you know, it takes a lot of energy not to fall down. And uh, we come to the river, and then there's this, this bridge, and um, about a football field long vine bridge, 100% vine. There's no cables in this. There's no rope. <laughs> Legit. And most of the people in PNG are pretty small. And then there's me walking across this, and the bridge is swaying, and I, I promise you I was praying, just, Lord, help me get across this bridge. It's crazy how just the walk just to stand up and walk the dependence that I have on God. Well, we got to the other side of the bridge, looking back and, and thanking God. And, and uh, actually, the, one of the missionaries that we went in to help, David Rimstead, he actually did not sleep the whole night before. See, because we're in there finishing up his house, and the next time he comes in, he's bringing his wife and kids. And so we made a mess, and he stayed up all through the night cleaning and organizing and trying to put things in place so that when his wife came in there, she was coming home. This was her house. And so he was like wiped out. And he laid down on this rock by the river. And all I remember is all of a sudden these, these black things starting to fly around. And so I keep walking and kind of trying to keep them off. I mean, what they were were sweat bees. And it literally took seconds. And David was covered head to toe, black, covered with sweat bees. And I'm walking, trying not to agitate them so they don't sting me. And, and just going, wow, this is nuts. Well, the journey kept going. Um, we actually got to the river, and then the, the next portion of our journey was through mud. Uh, walking along the side of the river, and, and literally about knee-deep mud. Just nasty stuff. Sticky. I mean, I was covered head to toe, falling down. Um, and... Uh, exerting ourselves even more just to pull your leg up out of the mud. Um, not real happy, but at the same time, God just, and suit and bell me. He's just poking my stomach saying, hey, worship, glorify me. Let me show you something. And um, we get into the mud, and I'm like, yeah, thank God. Praise God. Well, now there's, there's a, a river of boulders. I mean, I'm not talking little stones like North Platte, but I'm talking like boulders. And we're hopping on these boulders Remember, I took soccer shoes. <laughs> They're not good for uh, boulder hopping. Kind of slick. And so even again, it was just like, man, I just, I just felt like I'm just holding my hand up. Papa, help me. You know, just so dependent just to be able to walk. And I, I, all I could think was if I break my ankle now, how? How am I going to get out of here? You know? Um, and so we make it through the boulder field get down, and uh, we're taking a little bit of a break, and the guy said, okay, we just got to go up this mountain now, and there's the airstrip. That's where we're staying. I'm like, oh, thank you. Um, so we start to hike up, and we get up there, and I think by the time we reached the end of the airstrip, I was physically 
exhausted. I had nothing else left in me. Um, we got there, and the guy that we were supposed to evidently stay with wasn't home. And so um, the field had a few kids playing soccer on it, and by the time we got, like, midway, it was just covered with people. A lot of people come out to say hi, very friendly people. And they say, hey, come up and stay with us. And, and uh, so we're like, where do you live? And they're like, we live just up, just up top. <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? Off we go. And um, my friend Bill's with me, and we get, we get to this location. I'm like, Bill, I have nothing else in me. I'm, I'm tanked. I'm out of juice. Um, starting to shake. I just, I'm exhausted. And I said, if this isn't the place, just leave me. Because I, I don't, honestly, I don't think I have any more energy in me to, to go anymore. And um, we get there, and these people automatically started coming out of the house. And I just specifically remember some ladies coming out. And they're, they're always very friendly and introduce themselves and like to shake your hand and welcoming. And the next thing you know, they're off to their gardens. They're getting sweet potato, and they're bringing pumpkin, and they're bringing bananas. And this one lady walked up, and she's holding this popo, like papaya. I don't know if you all have had papaya, but I don't like it. It looks like cantaloupe, but it doesn't taste like cantaloupe. So I'm always disappointed when I try it. But she started whacking this thing up with a machete. And she hands me the piece. And I'll tell you, that was some of the greatest food I've ever eaten. It was amazing. And um, just, I'm eating this, and I'm like, give me some more, you know, and Sitting there and just muddy and stinky and, you know, just exhausted. And, and God just, again, he poked my bell and he said, see? See what I can do? In the middle of a jungle with people you don't even know, I'll provide for you. And um, so the, the ladies are, are grabbing potato and they're, they're starting to boil water to cook potato and stuff. And, and they said, hey, if you want to take a shower, there's a stream right over here. And um, so Bill and I headed over that way. And I, I literally remember just standing in the stream and laying down backwards. And it's just the cold water rushing over me. It's just like it was so refreshing. It just it changed me. It, was, it was, took all that dirt and slime and sludge and nastiness off me. It was like I was being baptized, you know, rising up and just like, whew, yeah, I, I got this. But again, it's just... Something like that. Just to be able to reflect back on God and say, man, look at the God that I serve. This is the God that I depend in. This is the God that I choose to be obedient to. And look what he does. Look what he gives. Look how passionate he is. Um, well, the next day was the helicopter coming in to get us, and I was sitting down talking with Dave, and he, he said, hey, have I ever told you the story of Pisu? And I said, no. Well, this man right here, his name is Pisu. He actually came all the way out of the, the Maliali to the airstrip with us. He's probably in his mid-60s, I'm guessing. But they generally look a lot older because life is hard there. Um, but as we're walking out, um, they don't come out. That's what he, he walked out with, just that. He had nothing with him. And so when we stopped to get water, you know, we'd filter water, and then he would drink you know, water from my bottle and stuff, and we got to talking. But often when we had stopped, he would sit down, and, and they always squat. But he would say, "I scrubble me and bugger up, yeah. My knees are just hurting, you know." And, and you look at his knees, and they're a little swollen. But I'm just amazed that this this elderly man, that in my opinion looks like he shouldn't be walking out of the mountains, you know. And he's walking out, just smoking a cigarette, not 
not breaking a sweat, just singing and hollering. You know, in Papua New Guinea, they, they sing out. They holler out at people throughout the jungle. And, and um, anyways, Dave goes, let me tell you that story. He goes, he goes um, Pisu, he said, um, he said, well, here in Hewa, where the people group they're working with, um, their, their animistic belief in witchcraft is very, very deep. And he said, they don't believe that, you know, you get a cold for just any reason, like you would go outside in the rain and then you were home and you got a cold. But they say everything happens by, by witches. So if you got sick, it's because someone worked a spell on you. And it's always a witch and it's always a woman. And once you're marked as a witch, you're, you're always marked. And so what that means is you have been convicted and you're going to die. And he said, um, Pisu had, had uh, a wife and two, two daughters. And his first wife was convicted to be a witch, and so the people of Malayali killed her. And then um, he married again, and he had another daughter. So he has three daughters, and this would be his second wife. And he said, and again, his wife and his daughters were all marked as witches. And he said, so, you know, they knew that they were going to be executed. And, and so typically what they do is they'll grab their family and they'll, they'll leave that area to protect them. Well, the thing is with Papua New Guinea, um, it's not like you can go buy land, you know, where they're, where they're from, where they live. That's, that's their livelihood. That's where they plant gardens. That's how they sustain themselves. You can go somewhere, but only for a period of time before you kind of outstay your welcome. Well, they came back to, to this village, and um, the village's guys kind of tricked Pisu. They said they told him to come in the hut. They wanted to talk with him. And when they went into the hut, they held Pisu down, and they executed two of his daughters. And then they went to the garden and executed his last daughter. And so I'm sitting here looking at this guy, and he's over there. I'm like, holy what? And he said, but the thing about it, this guy today still participates in witch killings. He still, he still practices killing ladies. And I'm just, I'm looking at him and I'm looking at kind of Dave and I'm thinking, God, do you ask me to walk out of a jungle with a, with a killer? I, I mean, if this dude decided to jump in the bush, I ain't getting out. There's no GPS. There's no cell phone. You know, and again, it was just like this, this overwhelming peace. God says, I got this, though. I want you to see what I'm trying to do. Um, it was just impacting to kind of to reflect back because, see, I thought I was going into Malayali to build a house. Well, that's, that's something that he was going to have me do, but I was going into Malayali. You all are sending us back to Papua New Guinea. We, we give up our time and our finances and our lives so that people like Pisu may have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so that one day he may have the choice to choose to have his sins covered by the blood of Jesus. But just think of the testimony that he could have if God would reach him. And so at that time, I'm just stepping back, and I'm just going, wow, amazing. Amazing that, God, you would even think of using me. Thank you for, for that. But look at how you're providing for me. Look at how you're caring for me. And I, the thing I keep learning is those things that I'm depending on is, is an amazing God. I'm not putting my dependence in just anything. 
I'm putting my dependence in a God that is a God of order, a God of design, a powerful God, a loving God. And it just, as I, as I start to, to grow in my understanding of who God is, the more I long to actually be dependent on God. The more I want to be obedient. Some of the circumstances start to fall away and you start to, to enjoy doing certain things, even when you don't understand them. Um, well, there was something that was given to me, and I'm going to ask um, Elder Dan to come up, if you would, um, to finish out the story. Uh, the village elder, right as um, we were getting ready to leave the village, he handed me, um, he handed me a spear like this. And he said, um, when you go back to your home country, when you go back to your home church, I want you to take this spear, and you need to tell our story. Because there are lots of people in Papua New Guinea, lots of villages that don't know or don't have the opportunity to have a missionary to come tell them about Christ. We don't know God's story unless you guys come. And so we want you to take this spear. And basically what he said is, you must suit him him. Time you come back, and by a pulling come back one time you guys. And he says, when you go home, you take this spear and you shove it into the belly of one of your people. That way, when you come back, you'll pull them back with you. And it was just a symbol of go tell people that we need them. Don't come back without telling our story. Don't come back without someone else coming. And so um, I want to give this to, to Elder Dan for the church. Just as a symbol, a reminder that there are people in this world that need Christ. There are people that, that will not hear unless people go. And this is more uh, just an opportunity. I don't know if there are people here that, um, you know, maybe God has been working in their life. He's been prompting them, whether it's to go to Papua New Guinea or to another country or maybe a different community or maybe a different job or maybe just, just to say something, to be able to speak up. But this is, this is for you. If there's something that God is doing in your life and he's prompting you to take a step of obedience, if he's asking you to be dependent on him, even if you don't understand how, how things are going to be paid, how this is going to happen, things don't make sense, this spear is for you. It's just a reminder, and um, I, want, I want the church, I want to be able to hold my promise true, so I've given that to the church, and um, there you go. So that's for anybody here that um, sees or feels the Lord drawing them one way. So if you do, come see Elder Dan. Thank you. Um, The last thing I want to do here before we close is I read a, a portion of Scripture. And now as, I want to go back and reread that. But I want you to, as we read this, just to reflect back on God's character, who God is. And just see if, if maybe this doesn't change a bit. If, if, if you're not seeing God in maybe a different light, an opportunity to grow. Um, the, the amazing thing about being dependent and obedient is, is the God that we're being dependent and obedient to. Um, So let's read. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat uh, eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. 
Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has, ple- uh, has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide a purse for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes, uh, and comes near and no moth destroys, for there... Your treasure is, there your heart will be. Let's pray. Father God, we just, um, we give you praise uh, just for the opportunity to share your story, Lord, uh, to be able to speak and, and tell people about you, uh, the, the God that you are, an amazing creator, a powerful, loving, caring God, Lord, a God of design. And um, I just pray as we go about our lives that we would, be dependent. We would we would grow in our understanding of who you are, and we would long to to be pursuing you and being obedient, Lord. And um, thank you so much for for Mitchell Breen. We thank you for Pastor Giles and just uh, what he pours into this church and and how he teaches. Lord, we thank you for the elders and all the other pastors. Um, we are blessed to have men that serve you like they do. Um, we praise you for your love, your grace, and uh, we give you glory in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Um, Just a quick reminder as we end up uh, today, tonight, 5.30, we're going to do Night Belong PNG. Basically, we're we're already cooking up a pig. It's on the spit. Um, Be ready. Dinner is at 5.30. We're going to do raffle tickets and some PNG stories at 6.30. 7 o'clock, we're going to have an auction. Um, so basically all the PNG artifacts you see here will be either given away, raffled off, or auctioned off. So please come. Um, we've set up tables for, what, 225, and uh, would love to see those all filled. Uh, but more importantly, we want to put some artifacts in your home just as a reminder. Um, if you come, if you could maybe just bring a side dish or a dessert, and everything else will be provided. So other than that, thank you for your time. Uh, have a blessed day, and we'll be dismissed.